today's going to be a bit different. Um, I kind of want to tell you a story, but I have so many things I want you to focus on <laughs> and, and get out of the story that I, I hope I get to them all. Um, I would hate to do this over two weeks. So if we go until 12.30, you guys are fine with that, right? Just kidding. Just, we won't do that. Um, <coughs> communion. This is what triggered today's message. This whole idea of the bread, the wine, the grapes. And it brought me to an Old Testament story, which made me realize, um, after last week talking about having to understand our Bibles better, there, there are people here who really don't know their Bibles. They don't know the stories. They don't even know how to read it necessarily. Some are new to faith and are just like, I want to read the Bible, but I have no clue how to. Well, I want to help with that in the next couple weeks. We're going to do a survey of Old and New Testaments. Just a rip through, like a a really good movie. Boom, 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 boom. And so you you catch all the main parts, and then you can pick and choose what you want to end up reading, which is pretty cool. Because I want people to understand it. Because sometimes people read it front to cover and go, I got bogged down at a certain point. Yeah, the place everybody else gets bogged down. So no problem. So we want to make that come alive. But something that people also fail to understand is that they think Jesus is only in the New Testament. He's not. He's spread all through the Old Testament. Now, mind you, usually he's a little bit more disguised. You know, he's not the front and center person. If you look carefully, you see him peeking out from behind a tree, peekaboo, you know, and uh, there he is. Oh, yeah, I just saw him. Oh, no, he's gone. Where'd he go? You know, he is there. He is the one that holds all the stories together. And today I want to bring in a really cool illustration of how Jesus is in my favorite story. My absolute favorite story. You'll never guess which one it is. Shoot, I had that up there. Yes, it's Joseph in the Technicolor raincoat. Dreamcoat, Technicolor, whatever you want to call it. What? Dreamcoats, even worse. Because he was a dreamer. Obviously, you've heard of it. I'll bet you many of you don't know the full story. You probably heard it in Sunday school. Isn't that nice? And somebody even said to me this week, well, if you haven't been to Bible college, how are you going to know these stories? Well, unfortunately, there's a real big misconception about Bible college because they make you read stuff, but there's no chance you're going to remember it all because all you got to do is regurgitate it to write the test so you can move on to the next course. That's how it works. Only the Holy Spirit lets you keep in what needs to be kept in. I've found that my experience long after Bible college has been a far better education. Far better. I had to go through the hoops to make it through, but right now is the time I am learning more than I've ever learned before. And if I'm learning more now than I've ever learned before, oh my goodness, imagine 10 years from now. I can hardly wait. Has anybody grown this past year, in the last five years? Has your picture of Jesus changed? Or is he the same one you were told about 20 years ago? You know, the little baby, and that was nice. We did Christmas, and that was important. And I'm not belittling the story. I'm saying sometimes that is just the simplicity that people know. They don't know the heart of the Son of God, who came as God, who came as the representation of the Father. Some people think the God of the Old Testament's a ticked off, mean ogre who's ready to zap. And he's, got this, he's got these six shooters of lightning bolts ready to get you. 
if you cross the line. Then comes Jesus to protect us from the mean dad. It's okay, God. I got him. I got him. If that's your picture, you've been lied to. The biggest evidence of what I'm telling you is true is this. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And one of them said, show me the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and I are one. Yeah, but just show us the Father. How long have I been with you guys? That's what he says next. It's, a, it's, it's amazing at the blindness of individuals. Your heavenly Father loves you just as much as Jesus' his Son. For God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is love. Agape. Other-centered. So today, looking at the bread and the wine and the story of Joseph, we have the story of a dreamer. I'm going to give you a quick summary of this dreamer's story. Now, throughout the Bible, you'll hear many dreams happen. And we just heard from Christmas. There was a couple of dreams that happened, and, and people were warned in dreams, especially Joseph, is told that Mary really was a virgin. Okay, that was like a big revelation. And he needed that so bad. <laughs> and then the next dream was, get out, go to Egypt. <coughs> dreams. So this young boy, Joseph, has a couple dreams. And it's not the problem that he has dreams. It's he tells everybody about it. He's got a big mouth. He wasn't always thinking. But that's what teenagers do. They just talk. You know, they, they think later. It's just how it works. I never did anything like that, of course, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah. So he tells us dream of, hey, guess what? We were out in the cornfield and you guys put all your piles of corn together and, and, and yours bowed down to mine. How cool is that? Oh, I had another dream. You know, and it was like hay bales. All your hay bales worshiped me. It was like, whoa. Then he tells him of the dream of the stars. The sun, moon, and stars bowed down to him. Can you see how this would get annoying if you had brothers or sisters and were telling this stuff? Yes. He got under their skin. And it wasn't just his fault. It was his father's fault too. His father showed excessive favoritism. So much so they had a special coat of many colors made for him. Showing favoritism. Causing negative attention. But what you may not realize is this is a pure setup. God allowed this to happen to be the setup because God had a plan to get Joseph to a certain place on a specific journey. Not one we would sign up for. Expedia does not offer this trip, right? There are way too many roadblocks, way too many delayed flights, shall we say. So his brothers get really ticked. They want to kill him. They're so with anger and jealousy that they have a plan Let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. And so they make a plan to kill him. But one of the older brothers says, nah, let's not kill him. Let's, let's sell him. At least make some money off of him. So they dig a, find a pit or an old well, and they throw him in there, and they, they uh, decide what they're going to do, and they end up selling him to a bunch of Midianites that were coming along, slave traders. So he gets sold. Now, can you imagine the whining? I'm really their brother. And they said, no, we're not. Can you imagine 
the hysteria that this young boy would be going through of sudden shock change. Then they have to answer to dad. How are we going to tell dad? He'll, obviously, he's his favorite, so he's going to be really, really, really upset. Well, let's make it like an animal killed him. Great. So they, they kill an animal and, and dip the guy's coat in blood and make it like a mangled. Oh, does that look gross enough? Yeah. Okay. Let's go show dad. Dad, found this. Looks like your son's. Is it? And let dad believe his boy was killed. I find it interesting there were no body parts. But anyway, that's not part of the story. That's just me thinking through the story too much. Dad's upset, believes his son is dead. So now Joseph is going along, going to Egypt. He gets sold again to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is a wealthy guy, a good guy. And he finds favor with Joseph. And Joseph begins to live well in this house. And Potiphar has got this wife that is not getting her needs met. And so she, she decides to cozy up to Joseph and try and persuade him. Doesn't work. He does not want to do that. He doesn't want to defile his God or his boss. And she sets him up. She's really ticked. How can anybody not fall for me? Can you imagine what kind of girl this is now? Okay? Like she thinks she's God to all men. She has to be if she thinks everybody has to like her. So off she goes and sets him up. And boom, she says that Joseph tried to rape her. Potiphar has no choice but to believe. And instantly, a nice cozy job, being in a really nice house, he gets shoved into jail. Not good. We're talking the federal jail. This is, this is the big jail in the big house. It's a big problem. He's in trouble. So, here is an innocent man going to jail for something he didn't do. Here's an innocent man being sold as a slave for something he didn't, well, maybe he did, but he participated in some of the problem. But this is God's hand at work. Sudden reversals are hard to take, folks. Can you not agree with that? When you're heading one way and suddenly you're knocked off course. The dream job you had hoped would be is suddenly no longer. That is not how I saw it coming. That's not how I planned it. The relationship you thought was perfect, there's no way you can see an end to this one. Gone. Off in a direction you could never have seen. And now it's gone. Never saw that coming. Sudden changes are hard. And people that are walking through that need to just be loved and listened to. Not to be fixed. Too many Christians try and fix one another and go in, well, you should read your Bible more, you should pray more, you should go to church more, blah, 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 all the do, 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 do stuff. Well, the only thing that kids know about do, do is not good. All right? So instead, be the one who loves to those walking through those blind sides. Life is full of blind sides. One thing we don't see in the story at all, you never hear Joseph complain. It's not recorded. Do you think he did? Do you think he may have had feelings of discontentment? <laughs> Absolutely. He was human. For sure. But everything we read in the story, his primary character was not one of complaining. Complaining. That was not his primary character. 
Something else is going on. If you're walking through something right now, or know somebody that is, please know this. God is working in and through your suffering. He is working in and through and with the pain you're in. Your pain is not the cause of God being mad. I assure you. Why do you think he has the mercy seat? We come to him for mercy and hope, not to get flogged. Wrong God. Jesus holds his hands out. He walks with you. He carries you, especially when you can't walk. Cry with you. In the journey you're about to embark, he is with you on it. You are not alone. He promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Forsaking means to abandon. And there's a lot of people with abandonment issues. Parents who've left, the kids feel abandoned, whether it was a legitimate separation or not. Who knows? But the kid still feels abandoned. Your father will not and cannot do that. For he holds all things together. And are you part of all things? Even if you're an unbeliever, you're still held together by him. You're not absent from God. He's still shining his light in and through you. But if it's darkness to you, then it's darkness. And how great is that darkness? Even when we walk through darkness and can't see the light of Christ in our situation, he is still there just because we can't see. If I close my eyes and say I can't see the light, does it mean the light's not there anymore? Do I have that much power? No. The light is there. I just can't see it. So don't get mad at blind people for not being able to see what you see. It would stop a whole lot more fights. It would lead to more relational discussions about who your loving Heavenly Father is rather than, I'm right and you're wrong, will you? Well, I got 25 verses that say you're wrong. Well, I got 20, 28 verses that say you're wrong. And on and on we go. And oh, that's such love, isn't it? So stupid. Joseph didn't complain. People are watching. They watch how you act and treat people when you're in pain. And they were watching Joseph. So much so that when Joseph went to jail, the head guy, what's his name here? The, um, the guy who's in charge of the jail, he shows favor. He says, wow, there's something about this person. There's something special about him and shows favor. In Genesis 39, 21, it says this. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Who did it? Did Joseph do it? It was on his own merit? No. This was God's plan. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We talked about that last week. Has God begun a good work in you? Yes. The fact you're sitting here is proof that he's begun a good work. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's charted a course for you. He's not turned you into a puppet, but he will guide you through your thoughts, through wisdom, through the wisdom of others, and just by choosing through the oneness that you are with Christ. Remember, you are one with Christ. This is critical. 
It's probably the best kept secret in the church. We've been told that God's out there when, when we're good, he's close, and when, he's, when we're bad, he's far because he can't handle it. That's not true at all. We're one with him. And that cannot change. Which means, when you know your identity in Christ, you can walk through a whole lot more differently. Doesn't mean you avoid pain, just means you walk through it differently. You can place trust in the one who's guiding this whole journey. So he goes to jail, and he meets two guys, a butler and a baker. The baker baked bread, just in case you didn't know. Okay? The butler was a cupbearer. But cupbearing can mean different things. It's not the Downton Abbey, you know, footman or butler. Nothing like that at all. This is more of the, the one who was so trusted by the king that in danger of being poisoned, the butler, the cupbearer, would drink the king's wine first to see if it was poisoned. If he lived, whew, good, you can have some king. <laughs> it, was, it was that scary. That trusted. And, and it was also part of a, possibly you know, a guard, uh, a special, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a, a secret service almost in the king. You know, part of a, a advisors. It, it was a very, very significant role. Nehemiah was one too. If you remember the story of Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer. But here, the cupbearer comes to jail and so does the baker. Jail is not the place you want to be. So we have the, the butler who goes because he's sent, the baker, and of course we have Joseph. Dreams are a big deal in Egypt and in Babylon. They were not small things. They believed that God, the gods spoke through dreams. And so when significant dreams came, they wanted some answers. And obviously um, uh, Something happened in jail. Now, here's something that shouldn't have happened. Now, this is, I never saw this till recently, and I know the story inside and out. The fact that Joseph noticed that these two guys were troubled tells you something of his character. Remember where he is. He's in jail, going to the garden to eat worms. I'm just going to live out my misery Many people live like that. This is my lot. This is what I'm called to do in life. I've got a crappy past. And you blame everything and you live, you live in your complaining blah. Like this negative vibe. Everybody else is wrong. Shut up. That is not who you are. That's how you function when you do not trust God in your circumstances. Anybody that complains like that is pure evidence of not abiding in Christ. That is not fruit of the Spirit. Just so you know. If you're one of those complainers, look in the mirror quickly. Because now everybody knows where all that's coming from. It's not coming from the Spirit of Christ in you. I'm talking about patterns, established patterns of behavior. Okay? I'm not talking about in the roundabout complaining about the guy who doesn't know how to use it and, and the gestures that go along with that. Okay? Not talking about that. But Joseph, in the middle of his trial, noticed somebody else hurting. He said, Guys, I see you're upset. What's going on? Do you do that when you're in trouble? 
Or are you so focused on your own stuff, you can't see anybody else or hear anybody else? This is probably the best lesson on how to walk through pain, right here. Look to others to see how you can help them. And he does. Guys, what's up? Well, we had these dreams and we can't figure them out. Oh, well, dreams, that, that's God's territory. Tell me your dream. Did you hear that? He says to them, that's God's area. Tell me your dream. Do you know what he's saying? He's establishing and verifying and communicating a connection with his heavenly father. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. So the first, first one. Butler's dream. This one's more positive. So the butler comes along and says, here is, here is the dream. I, I, was, um, I had these grapes in my hand and I was squishing them and, and, and putting them into a cup. Ah, and the juice is dripping. And I, and I gave it to the king and he drank. I had three clumps of grapes. Hmm, good dream. I'll tell you what it means, Joseph says. It means three days. Three things of grapes, three days. You will be restored back to your position in the king. When you are put back, please remember me. Please remember me telling the king I am here as an innocent man. Remember, who has a close ear to the king? Butler! Absolutely. So, next guy. The baker has a dream. He said, I got a dream too. After hearing, ooh, that was a great outcome. My turn, my turn, me, me, me. So he, uh, he says, hey, here's my dream. I had three baskets on my head filled with bread and food for the king. And then the birds came. Started plucking it out and ate all the bread. What's with that? Three baskets, three days. The dream's the same for you. Except for you, you will die in three days. <laughs> I want a second opinion. (laughs) You will be hanged, as some translations say, or you'll be impaled, as other translations say. There are two ways to see what's going to happen. And get this, three days later, the butler's restored to his position. Three days later, the baker's impaled and killed. The idea of, of hanging can mean on a stake... Even impaled on the stake for all to see. Some of them were 60, 70 feet high. To make no mistake, everybody could see the hanging. They're hanging on it. There are many ways to see this. In our Western world, all we think of hanging is, you know, we think of that and that's it. Not so. They were far crueler back then. This was, this was payback stuff. Obviously, the baker did something bad. Okay? Both dreams happened. The baker's dream was a nightmare. Birds eating. And by the way, the birds came and ate the baker. Read it yourself. Genesis 40. It's all there. I'm not making this stuff up, but it's fun to tell. (laughs) You got the visual? Good. But Joseph is forgotten. He is completely forgotten. What's with that? Let's stop there for just a minute, because I want just because I'm looking at the clock. Going, mm, how much time can I steal? Um, I'm going to make you look at these elements for a moment and see the two dreams. This is Jesus. The wine. 
represents the blood of Christ. The wine being squeezed out, released from the grapes into the cup. Forgiveness of sins. Freedom came. Came through the butler. Freedom released through the butler. The blood speaks. We're going to talk about the blood speaking in just a moment when we hear that eventually the butler is the one who speaks to the king. Says, hey, I know a guy. The blood speaks and releases and speaks freedom and truth. This is really, really important. The bread. <laughs> Death happened at the cross. The bread of life. Jesus. Can you see the parallels? I get? It's about imagery. The Old Testament is filled with imagery. But this, that story is a picture forward to the cross. Now we see the bread of life having to die, hanging. <laughs> what? Yeah. So when we go through these elements, realize there's great symbolism. We can attach a lot of deep thought to these things as we take part in communion. Joseph's forgotten, and two years passes. I think we complain after a week of not getting God to answer our prayer. Six months, we've given up. God doesn't exist anymore. He's not heard my prayer. Two years later, the king has a dream. His dream goes like this. There was a, there was a, a flood, and the river was high, and these um, not just, I'm jumping ahead. He has this dream, can't figure out what the meaning is. None of the advisors can tell him what it means. Then the butler remembers, oh, I know a guy that interprets dreams. Why didn't I think of that sooner? Hey, go get that guy Joseph. He interpreted my dreams and it became positive. It was a positive result. And because of the trust of the butler and the king, the king trusted and brought him in. And they prepared Joseph, groomed him so he can come before the king. And then he came before the king. The king, tell me your dream. The Lord is the one who interprets dreams. He never took credit. He never took credit for the dream. So the king tells him the dream. He said, hey, there was, uh, the first dream was this, this, these um, fat cows got out of the river, and, and man, they were, they were plump. They're perfect. We're talking steak city. And so they're enjoying and, and, and grazing, and isn't that wonderful? And then seven really gauntly, you see all the ribs, cows came out, and they ate the fat cows and never gained any weight. That's a serious diet. What's with the dream? Crazy. He has two dreams. They're pretty much identical. It's incredible. Let me just take a look in here. Genesis chapter 40. Uh, Oops, sorry, 41. 41. Two years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, seven fat, healthy-looking cows suddenly came up out of the river and began grazing along its bank. The seven other cows came up from the river. Those were very ugly and gaunt. These cows went over and stood beside the fat cows. Then the thin, ugly cows ate the fat ones. At this point in the dream, the Pharaoh woke up. Soon he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain on one stalk with every kernel well-formed and plump. Then suddenly seven more heads appeared on the stalk and these were shriveled, withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. And then Pharaoh woke up. So as he tells his dream to Joseph, Joseph says, here's the interpretation 
that God has given me. You will have, in the very near future, seven really good, bountiful years. It's going to be so prosperous, something you haven't seen before. Followed by seven years of famine that will make you forget you even had a single good year. My advice to you is, find somebody who can manage everything that has to be managed well, storing up the food to prepare for those times. And the king, inspired by, I'm sure, God, who else should I pick but you? You will be second to me. Rags to riches. Appointed by God. Powerful story. And Joseph becomes the one who becomes a savior, in a way, for all of Egypt and all those that needed food from other countries. Something happened later. He had children. These two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, these two words, these two boys, their names mean something. Remember, names mean a lot, so does symbolism. Manasseh means to have forgotten. And basically it means the bitterness has left me. His firstborn. Hmm, so obviously there was a bit of bitterness. <laughs> a little bit ticked offness, you know. But he had released it in the naming of his son. I am not bitter. Then his second one, Ephraim, means doubly fruitful. I have been blessed beyond blessings. God has multiplied to me. It's all been God from day one. How do you name your kids? How do you name your situations? How about, instead of saying, what a crappy day it is today, you've just named your day. Stop it. Declare the Lord's day. Yeah, my circumstances may not be great, but it doesn't change who made the day. Where you focus, that's where your attitude will be. Guaranteed. Everybody has a choice. You get to choose which attitude you want. (laughs) Joseph displayed through hardship, and I'm sure he complained, okay? He was human. You're allowed to have your hissy fits. Just don't stay there. Don't live there. You're allowed to have your reactions. But don't stay there. Release them up quickly. So that your attitude can be the same as that of Christ, who gave himself up and served. Just like Joseph in his crappy circumstance, rose in the jail and served, seeing other people's needs more than his own. What a lesson. Have you had a blind side? (laughs) Probably. Will you have another one? Probably. And as you have them, you become stronger. Not in your own strength. We're strong in the Lord, okay? Just so you know. We're not called to be stronger in and of ourselves. We're called to be strong in the Lord. So our strength comes from Him, not self-strength. We're supposed to be strong from our union with Christ. So His strength is our strength. His life is our life. So that the agape, the love that is in us by our nature, will be lived out in seeking out the needs of others like Joseph did. That's the story of Joseph. 
That is how it's tied in with communion. And I hope you can bridge those things and find an impact as you take part of these elements. That, hey, Jesus is peeking in through the entire Old Testament. You'll see him in many places. He's not absent from it. He's just really obvious in the New Testament. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Could we, could we have the uh, classes come in? Okay. Wow. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Help us not to be whiners. Which means acting like who we aren't. But instead, may we learn to profess truth and faith in our circumstances. And you're so gracious and gentle with us. You allow us to have our little hissy fits. But the more we mature, the less that happens. And thank goodness. Thank you that you've taken it all on you. Make this truth real in each person here. May we stop seeking our own needs, but look out for the needs of others, our family members, church family, our community, and our world. Thank you, Father. Amen.